HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 16th, and this is the 28th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, I'm going to be chatting with the principals of an amazing culinary entertainment agency. But first, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round questions, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. Now first, I want to remind everyone that it is our summer membership drive here at Heritage Radio Network. If you like what you hear here and on all of our programs, I hope you will support us by becoming a member. To do so, visit our website at heritageradionetwork.org and click on the donate button at the top of the page. We greatly appreciate your support. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to slow down. Yep, we moved too fast. We're all working at such a quick pace, multitasking, and trying to squeeze as much as possible into a day, and in New York City, even more so. But let's remember to stop and smell the roses and simply breathe. Not everything has to get done today or yesterday. There's always tomorrow. Prioritize and be efficient and slow it down. That's my feeling groovy tip today. Now, my guests today, I'm very excited to have here. It is Cameron Levkov and Michael Saltis. They are the partners at The C, which stands for the Culinary Entertainment Agency. The C represents talented individuals in all aspects of the culinary world, from well-known personalities to acclaimed chefs and writers. Initially launched by Michael as the Culinary Cooperative in 2005, with a singular focus on cooking and lifestyle markets, the agency was rebranded with Cameron in 2012 
to continue to expertly represent its clients' interests and help them navigate through the rapidly changing media world. So, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming out here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Well, so I wanted to see how you both first got started in culinary or what drew you to the culinary world. I'll jump in first. Sure. Um, my background, first and foremost, was entertainment and theater, um, and I loved it, but I was ready for something new, and I went to culinary school, and I trained in pastry, um, and what I learned very quickly as I became involved in various projects in the hospitality world was restaurants or theater. They're live entertainment, they're stage shows, and I loved that, and I loved everything about it. I loved that... Food was, um, and it's something we talk about a lot in our office now, actually, food is entertainment. It is a means for that experience. Um, and I love that. And, and what I wanted to then do was combine both of my experiences in entertainment and in food and um, work with essentially chefs as talent. And, and together, that's what Michael and I now are lucky enough to do. Yeah, I think what you do is... Awesome. <laughs> I do. I well, think it's so you. cool. And that's true. It is like theater restaurants now. So let's, I get the connection. Yeah. And what about you, Michael? Uh, you know, my, my approach, you know, I just love food. It's probably why I got into food. My grandfather owned diners. My twin brother is a chef. Um, you know, I came at agenting mostly from publishing to start. And I was in the publishing industry and then started working for a small literary agency at first um, and it, when you're there you, you finally eventually become an agent uh, I got to choose what projects I wanted to work on um, and so sooner or later I ended up doing like almost entirely food and it's because everything I did outside of work back then was food related I mean I you know my brother and I lived together at the time he was working at restaurants all of our friends were chefs or cooks coming up um, so we lived and breathed it. Um, mm -hmm. Even when we'd go on trips, so we'd go to Paris and just eat in restaurants. Um, so that's really where I came at it. It's just like I, you know, I slowly figured out what I was good at was being an agent. Um, and then you kind of get to choose what you're interested in. And so more and more it became food. Um, and you mentioned the Colony Cooperative. I mean, the whole idea there was to exclusively focus on food back in whatever that was, 2004, 2005. Um, and so that's really the way my career has been shaped, is, is just to focus on the category. Right. So when you started in 2005, who were you working with at that time? Uh, I had a partner named Joe Regal, um, and he, um, he had an agency called Regal Literary. He still does, and he also founded a company called Zola Books now, uh, which is kind of a digital initiative. Um, and what they did um, was really big literary books and fiction, like Audrey Neffenager, Time Travel's Wife, and Daniel Wallace, Big Fish, and all these big properties that were in the fiction world. And they just kind of just believed in, in what I was doing. They, you know, back then, um, sure, there were cookbooks, um, and there certainly were chefs were on the rise, and Food Network certainly was rising at that point. Uh, but it was nothing like it is today. Um, so really it was um, a very traditional literary agency that kind of bet on, on on cookbooks and it went really well frankly and it allowed us to grow and kind of allowed us to be where Cameron and I are today. Yeah, yeah well things have changed for sure. Crazy, right? It has grown 
And then how did you guys meet? We were introduced by a client, actually. Michael and I were both working with this individual. Um, I was working as his manager at the time. Michael had been working with him on the publishing side. And in the course of working together to um, develop, pitch, and ultimately sell this cookbook project, um, we found that we had a really shared philosophy about how we want to work with chefs, what we think... um, chefs can be doing and should be doing um and that was really that was really it we had the luxury of of actually being in the trenches together before signing on Uh, that's true there's one client that we found ourselves working together and then all of a sudden we realized we were two or three clients that we were basically on the same team which was a lot lot of the way managers and agents and and publicists you know sherry Uh We all end up being teams for people, and so Cameron and I ended up being on a few of the same teams and um, came to see that, yeah, we had a similar philosophy on how to do stuff and the the way we work together. And And I think part of that also was we found that what we do in our styles became complementary in how they supported the brand of the chef, the project, the chef's image, um, which I think was a, a really pleasant surprise along the way. Yeah, so it was naturally. I love that. You know? No, you realized... You worked well together, and you complimented each other, and you had similar clients. It, yeah, it all makes sense. So, who? So, can you tell me who was one of one of these initial clients? Sure, that particular client was Richard Blaze. That was my guess, <laughs> just because I've known I've known you a long time, and I knew I've known you've worked with him a long time. Yeah, Michael and I both worked with him now for. A number of years. A number of years, yeah. Yeah, I know he's great, and for people who don't know, he was from Top Chef. Yep, Richard was on Top Chef Season 4 and then went on to win Top Chef All-Stars and then publish um, a beautiful James Beard-nominated cookbook called Try This at Home um, and several other different mm-hmm. different projects along the way. So you've been with him a while. So what type of placements or what are his goals? Like what? How does it work, really? Well, I think that it, the bigger question is what are chefs, our clients, and chefs in general looking for these days that's different. I think the opportunities are no longer limited to within the four walls of the restaurant. Um, and the the nature of the business of a chef has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, that is the question I had last week. Uh, Andrew Friedman from Toklin was on the show. And he asked, when people come to you for help and representation, what are they now looking to achieve? And he said back in the day, the Holy Grail was TV, but was wondering what else are they looking for now, or are they still looking for TV, or is there something else, uh, a book, a product line, a radio show? (laughs) I I think he's right that there was a period of time where TV, landing a TV show, and that meant really what we're talking about is Food Network, um, was the holy grail. Um, you know, there were some PBS shows, but really everybody was trying to get on Food Network. Um, we don't think, I don't think any of the chefs think this either, that that's the the only goal anymore. There are people, and there are people we work with who, um, they're, they are personalities, and they are what we might call food personalities, and what they do is they host television shows, um, and then they'll have other product projects that they do, but they're not chefs. And then we'll have chefs who... TV is a vehicle. Sometimes it's just to fill seats in a restaurant. Sometimes it is to build their brand. 
but I don't, you know, I don't think there's a there's a single thing. I mean, at least that's my take. I think it depends on yeah. who we're talking about. It depends on who we're talking about. It depends on where they're at in their career. It depends what their strong suits are and what they're naturally um, a fit for. Um, somebody said to us just the other day that TV is still important because it's the best advertisement you'll ever get. That, you know, being in somebody's home every Tuesday night at 8.30 is still, the visibility is, is still unmatched. But, but they could get it in different ways now. That's like, very true. Like Cutthroat Kitchen, we have a couple of people who have made appearances or Antonio Lafaso is a regular judge for them. Um, it is, it's a judging vehicle, but it, it does bring her awareness and brings people into her restaurants in Los Angeles um, in a way that, you know, you really couldn't get in you know, five years ago unless you had, like, your own show. Um, so the, the change, the, the competition shows, uh, I think have introduced more opportunities for people than just hosting your own show. And the other point, as it relates back to the question, is... I think that merchandising is probably now the holy grail. Can you be more specific with merchandising? Just any type of merchandising, or are they looking for something particular? Well, it's an old Hollywood uh, kind of line that people say is it's it is the money while you sleep. Um, so the, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like uh, the rappers used to say that stuff, yeah. right? It's like it's going to be my new line. <laughs> you're gonna make money while you sleep. <laughs> Uh, PR while you sleep. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it is kind of true is, um, you know, merchant, merchandising and licensing deals. The reason that Cameron says the Holy Grail, it, it really kind of is in the sense of um, a lot of the efforts to build and brand people and restaurants are part of branding and TV shows are part of branding. Often books are considered a branding step as much as a money-making or artistic integrity. I said that to Andrew last week on the show. And, and I said they're more for branding than to make money. And he said, well, I hope he to make money. money. And I said, well, I heard his comment. He yeah, answered very honestly. We enjoyed that. He's, he's, yeah. But he's, tr- he's right. He's because, right, right. Um, it's, a, it's a misconception that publishing doesn't make people money. Um, you know, yes, some projects make more money than others and sell more money but for a lot of them i mean especially restaurant groups will do um will do a cookbook and it really in that case it, you know we're talking about multi-million dollar companies we can't make them a, a difference on a successful cookbook but we can all of a sudden skyrocket the value of their brand because there's a level of like a random mouse or simon schuster did your book they're now more valuable well and and back to what you said and we've said this to several clients that a cookbook is the best calling card you could ever present. It is the opportunity to present who you are as a chef, present your brand, present your food and your identity in a creative form that you really can control. All the other various forms of media, you're working with production companies or outside third parties who who have their own vision of what the project should be. Your cookbook is still yeah, yours. It's yours, yeah. Yeah, it, it's what makes it, uh, I think, one of the most interesting parts of, of what we do with people is, like, it's their single expression. They are the only ones, I mean, we weigh in, editors weigh in, photographers help create the aesthetic, but really, like, a restaurant, a TV show, a personal appearance, everybody's weighing in, and there are group efforts to be able to pull off a television show or a restaurant, whereas a book, it really is someone's someone's vision laid out there and like Cameron said it's a, the best business card or the best expression of who they are yeah very true okay we're going to take a little break here so stay with us this is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network 
Hi, I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a nonprofit organization, which means we depend on the support of members like you. The reason I support Heritage Radio Network is because I'm passionate about connecting women and food to an audience that supports them and their businesses. The best way you can support this program and others like it is to visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org and click the Donate button to become a member today. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Cameron Lepkoff and Michael Saltis of the Culinary Entertainment Agency. We're talking about culinary entertainment agents. That's where you guys are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've never, you know, I think it's, an, it's a new thing for me, even though PR and I guess agents are, are, can work together. But it's still, I think it's a new thing for our culinary world to be in. Well, I think the efforts support each other. Um, yeah, they do. You know, certainly the opportunities that we present to our chefs don't come without the support of of public relations mm-hmm. and that visibility. And then on the flip side, the projects that we do wouldn't be as successful as they were if we didn't have the support of other team members like you getting the word out there about them. Yeah, well, that's true. So I want to see, how do you guys work together as a team, as partners? <laughs> I mean, how's that? You've been, you've been together now two years. Mm-hmm. So what are your what are your different roles and how does it work? <laughs> you know, in, in truth <laughs> next question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no answer. <laughs> in truth it took us a while to find those roles. I think because when we started 2 years ago, we were th- so enthusiastic about wanting to create all of these opportunities for our clients and wanting to work together to leverage every opportunity and support the overall brand that we did every we worked on every project together on every client together and gradually we realized that we were more effective when we handled our own strengths separately but still worked together on a larger in, in a larger broader way um, yeah I think that's right I mean I, I think what it is is we we knew I think even from day one because we had worked together as you know as camera as a manager in a separate company and I was I was an agent um, but we we've it's taken two years probably, but we figured out how to meld, not just that we have different strengths, but, you know, when one of us should be involved and the other should be involved. And, you know, we, we do everything together essentially, um, but we also realize that we can't, we can't do everything literally together. So 
we work with the, the, the same group of people, but some people, oh, Michael is going to be doing that, and Karen's going to be doing this, and sometimes it's because of strength, sometimes it's just time management, um, sometimes we just know, like, okay, well, you're, you're better equipped to handle this, and you're better equipped to handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, Cameron, and I say this all the time, but we look at this as it is one entity in which, um, you know, our agency focuses on food. Um, and from that, we represent all these different spokes. Um, and so it depends. You know, sometimes we we know, they, you know, before we even talk to someone, we know like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be something that Cameron's going to handle, something Michael's going to handle. Um, or we, you know, we know we're going to be doing this together, and literally we've taken calls together. Or it really depends. But I would argue that that's a challenging thing for um, any new partnership is is figuring out what everyone's role is and and what everyone's strengths are and how to use them most effectively. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's probably taken us almost two years. Yeah, well, I think you're doing great, I, and I <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I think it's awesome. Uh, so. Take me through the process a little. Somebody comes to you. They're looking for an agent. You, you're excited. You get on board with them. You bring them on. And then do they set out, you set out goals? And, and then is it a matter, are you pitching? Is it kind of like PR where you're pitching ideas and to, you know? We do. It's funny. We were, we were just talking about this earlier today where uh, we're, we, um, we kind of have a list of uh, you know, I was saying that whole spoke thing because it's a, kind of our thing, but um, we really do have a list where it's say it's television or it's books or it's spokesperson deals or brand deals or merchandising deals or, or even restaurant deals, and we, you know, we know um, for some people um, some of that's going to apply and some not. I mean, we've worked with I mean, Coleman Andrews is an author I've worked with for many many years, um, one of the best authors of cookbooks, I believe. Um, really talented writer, but Coleman's never going to be looking to host his own television show. It's not, it's not right. his goals. But we will literally we'll look at people and say, okay, well, he's a chef, and he may do television, but that's not the primary focus. Or the primary focus is television, and there's this and that. So we do map out kind of here's what we think, and then we'll we talk. I and mean, Cameron actually created something which I think is. Great. I used to mock it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so like, what the but it's this long questionnaire. Um, and it's really great because, you know, we get people to answer it um, because what it does is it helps us try to figure out. And it's something that a lot of different creative agencies will do. Um, but it is it is essentially a, a personality questionnaire. And it is um, at times invasive and asking deeply personal questions. <laughs> um, but it, it, it allows us to get to know our clients beyond their food. What what are their hobbies? What are their interests outside food? What are the brands that they naturally gravitate towards? Um, are there are there projects or brands that they're dying to work with or represent? And it gives us the direction on where to go next. I think one of the things that Michael and I pride ourselves on is that we are proactive with our clients. Certainly, it is it is always great and easy, and you know I'm sure it's the same in public relations when the phone rings and. The New York Times wants to write about all of your clients, and it's the same for us. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't mind that when it happens, and nor, nor do we. <laughs> it's like, bring, bring it on, New York Times, <laughs> right? And so we love to field those incoming calls. We yeah. welcome them. If anybody's listening, we welcome them. Um, but we do then take the information we gather from our clients, and whether it's in the brand space or it's production companies, we will then reach out to those targeted partners. Yeah, and work together to pitch and come up with creative concepts. 
I mean, on their the, behalf. The, the stereotype of, and there are these, they definitely exist, especially in the Hollywood world, uh, where the agent just sits out of, by a desk and waits for a phone to ring, and they call and say, your client's going to do X. And certainly I'm sure people do that, but we, you know, we really, that's not what we'll do. I mean, we will develop projects. I mean, some of it is in obvious categories, like, a cookbook and figure out what that is and then go and pitch and try to sell the book. Um, television, same story. We will bring someone together with a production company and try to sell a TV show. Um, you know, and honestly, while, you know, we don't know exactly what it means, we've been working really hard in the digital space of trying to create opportunities for our clients and, and going out there pitching brands and pitching people to be involved in it where, um, you know, it isn't, it isn't this you know, reactionary track, you know, where we just say, okay, the phone rang. It is trying to create opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I was I was curious about something that I just read about Richard Blaze and a, a, a new deal. Was that through you guys? The, he did, a, I think it was some fancy feast. It's a cat food, right? Cat? It is indeed. Okay. It is indeed. Don't know. No, we do. Okay. We do. Richard's doing some work with them. All right. It's a really cool thing. It's a really cool campaign. Cameron um, should be really you'll proud see, of it. You'll see Cameron, some more coming up. He's done. A, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Richard, and I think he's he's a great, I mean, I think he's a great client to have, and he's done a lot of, of things. I just happened to read that the other day. Richard, Richard so gets fun. to dip his toe for the first time in, in scripted yeah. scripted television for this campaign. So um, well, it's been a lot of fun. big, you know. I mean, Rachel Ray does, does things with, with um, food. She's animals. been incredibly supportive and, <laughs> yeah. and kind, and um, and they're great together on air. Yeah. Um, and Richard yeah, she's a great, great job. It's a fun. It's a fun thing. Uh, it's not him cooking for cats. It's it's. I didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I th- yeah. Well, I think it's. I think it's. It's great that everything you guys are doing. Well, I stay do tuned. Know. There's there's a there's teaser. More. There's a teaser out there for um, for a video that's going to be coming up, which is great. I look forward to seeing it. Very cool. <laughs> okay, we're going to take another break here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk some industry news. And before that, we'll do my speed round game. So please stay <laughs> with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Cameron Levkoff and Michael Saltis of the Culinary Entertainment Agency. So now it's time for my speed round game. Are you guys ready? No. <laughs> I'm just going to name two things, such as chocolate or vanilla, and you just pick your preference. That's all. It's real quick. <laughs> and it could just be what you're, what, what, how you're feeling today. You know, maybe today's a chocolate day and tomorrow's vanilla. You never know. 
All right. All right. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Uh, cocktail. Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Mm, a la carte. No wonder you guys work well together. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I go either way. <laughs> We should have done this before we partnered up. We should have done like a like. This is my. This is my. Yeah, yeah. my questionnaire. Our right? psych- psychological analysis. <laughs> totally obsessed. Okay. How about uh, small plates or large plates? Large plates. Large plates. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. Tipping. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Chef's counter. Copycat. <laughs> I don't know. Like, we well, should switch. Michael, let, we'll table. let Michael answer first for the next one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a couple more. <laughs> top Chef, Top Chef All Stars, Top Chef Masters, or Top Chef Duels. And I guess I could put in there Top Chef Desserts. <sighs> top Chef. Just, just one big Top Chef. Yeah, can you pick like, one? I can't. It's like oh, choosing wait, a favorite choose. child. I can't choose. All right. <laughs> How about South Beach Food and Wine Fest? NYC food and wine, or the classic in Aspen? NYC. I thought I was going to. Oh, sorry. New York. <laughs> Ladies first. New, New York, York, for sure. Cheese plate or dessert? Michael? Dessert. Dessert. Last one, Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan. Manhattan. Cool. All right. I think I approve <laughs> your partnership. <laughs> wow, we're so similar. <laughs> so that's the game. All right, so let's... I think we passed with flying colors. I think so, too. I think so, too. You're good at it. Some people really get stuck on something they can't answer. Like Queens instead of Manhattan or Brooklyn? Well, yeah, sometimes, even though I haven't had that as a choice, but... (laughs) (laughs) I used to have... I used to, at the very beginning when I was doing this, I was saying NYC or Brooklyn, and so people were like, it's not... You got to say something. (laughs) (laughs) Correct here, you know, get it perfectly right. Okay. So let's talk some industry news. Now, I had on this for last week to talk about how Crumbs, the bake shop, has abruptly closed its doors. It was in the Wall Street Journal. It was in all the papers. Um, I was supposed to talk about this on the show last week uh, because it was big news. I mean, Crumbs is has been the, the largest chain of cupcake bakeries in the country, and it, the news was just it was abrupt. And then, so now, since a week later, there's a new story, How Crumbs Will Indeed Rise from the Dead, was the title, saying uh, how there's, there's been an agreement made and they're, they're looking to purchase some crumbs and they're going to open a few of the locations, select locations. So, what do you guys, are you guys familiar with this article? Uh, I mean, I think the article is by Hugh Merwin, right? Um, who's a friend, uh, but I haven't read it, to be honest. Um, I mean, certainly we've read a lot about crumbs, um, and it was kind of shocking to see, you know, something, you know, a company grow so quickly. And I guess if we had been watching the stock, um, then it wouldn't have been a surprise because their stock had right. dropped so dramatically and it basically became, uh, delisted, right? Um, so, um, no, I don't know. So that said, not knowing that and only knowing the consumer product um, and seeing them grow. And, of course, it's New York-based. Uh, it was kind of shocking and, and sad. So I hope it does come back. I mean, it seems like they would have so much uh, they have so much consumer goodwill um, and so, much a- so many assets that it, it seems surprising that there is nothing that could be salvaged 
even if the public company itself is in such bad shape. Well, I wonder if some of the, the lesson here has to do with building an entire business and brand upon a single trend or fad. A cupcake. A cupcake. Yeah. Well, which... they, cupcakes became really big. I, I still think back to Sex in the City, how they put Magnolia, yeah. right. you know. There's still a line out there, people going to, to get the cupcakes. And I don't know. I, I mean, I cupcakes are, is, is the... The whatever the phase the is it is it dying down or are we moving on to cronuts? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a hard hard question. Right, that was the story. I think Eater when they were running it, they talked about how the founder said, "Well, you know, if you know if cupcakes were a fad, if I you know, then why would this business be growing? And if I had a dollar for every time someone asked him that, then I wouldn't need to be doing the deals that they were doing." Uh, but, you know, that's a tricky thing. I mean, are hamburgers are fat. Um, you know, I mean, certainly Shake Shack is so successful and so many other, like Umami Burger has been so successful. It's an interesting thing. Is is it desserts that then are fad-based, where savory's not? Uh, well, I don't think so, because bakeries have longevity and, and pastry shops yeah. can have longevity. And, and but ice cream. And, and certainly ice cream. ice cream. I think as it relates to something like burgers, there are other offerings on the menu besides sure. just burgers. Um, and certainly Crumbs, in, in the last few years, tried to diversify their menu and provide savory offerings and different meal period offerings. But I, I wonder... with Starbucks, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they actually, I read, they did do a mock cronut. I think it was like a crumb yeah, nut, yeah. they called it. Like yes. everyone tried to get on that bandwagon. Yes. But I wonder if the, the public's perception or their brand identity was so burned in all of our minds that at that stage in the game they struggled to introduce those other products yeah, it's an interesting question I look at Baked by Melissa right which is really successful yeah they've they um, keep they've added a lot of locations right uh, you know and sprinkles on the west coast um, which is pri- yeah privately held yeah so it's a you know I, I don't believe that cupcakes can't work but it is an interesting thing of you know patisserie or a bake shop that has other things like magnolia you know, I don't think their cupcakes are the best thing there. I think their banana pudding is amazing. <laughs> you know, it's really good. Um, but they also have, you can just get a cookies slice of cake. And muffins and cookies and full cakes. And, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, um, it is a more diversified retail shop than just being known as, like, the only reason I went there was cupcakes. And maybe that's a thing that they struggled with is that they could never change that identity. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I mean, I just I felt bad that you know there's a lot of employees to lose jobs Horrible. with. That's the other part of the story. one day notice. You know, it's yeah. terrible. Yeah, it was just kind of shocking that it was so sudden and and all the locations. But we'll see what happens now. The other article I wanted to talk about was in the New York Times also last week, and it was by Pete Wells, and the title is "Your Eyes Are Happier Than Your Stomach." It was basically about how Instagram has changed everything with plating, chefs, cooking, diners, all of the above. And um, he's kind of saying how, how the presentation and the plate, it's become more about plating than cooking with chefs. And did you, did you read this one? Did you see it? We did. I'm of two minds about this discussion. Um, on the one hand, I think that the photographing of food at the table mid-meal is ruining our dining experience. It's ruining the moment. It's, it's, it's delaying all of the other senses that are meant to enjoy that food. 
Um, and, and it is disrupting the theatrical experience of dining. On the flip side, the more and more people are talking about food and looking about food, and the more food is, 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 is seeping into every aspect of our social and cultural lives, the more opportunities there are for clients like ours. Yeah, I think it's a, mm -hmm. it's a, well, you can take it from a lot of different angles. I mean, one of the things that Cameron's saying I think is true for restaurants, it's, it's, it's amazing if, if the dish is so aesthetically interesting because I do want to take a picture and then I tweet it out. Have you ever whatever. photographed a plate of food at a meal? All the time. Uh, I don't tweet it or anything, but I love doing it. Like, you know, we went to uh, a Peter Cochon a year ago and had an amazing meal where we, they, they did something special for us. And um, I, I, I got to think like half the table, and these are all chefs. We were standing up taking pictures. Uh, you know, I, I mean, everyone's I, doing everyone's it. Everyone's doing it. I do it. it. I try to be quick and take my yeah, picture and tweet not later. Ruin it. But I do do it. And then a funny... And it's good for the chefs, right? I mean... Well, and for what I do for a living, it's... Yeah, it's a, one I of the mean, best publicity angles we have right now. But it was a funny story I have is I was at... I went to City Field a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I went to get Pat Lafrida's... Uh, he has a new slider there. And I, I went, I took... got my food, I took a picture, I Instagrammed it, I was done. Then I was sitting in my seat, and I see two rows in front of me, the people go and they get Shake Shack. The guy starts eating. The girl takes her burger out, holds it up, <laughs> and she's like <laughs> really concentrating to get the best shot she possibly can get. So I snap a picture of her and post it. And she ended up seeing my picture later because it, we all tagged it under City Field. And then she was like embarrassed by the photo. But I was like, no, it just shows the culture and the how people are just but into in, food. But in this case, it also, show, also shows that then the experience of eating the food is so secondary. Because by the time she's done manhandling that burger and puts it back on a bun, and it's cold, and it's soggy, and it's been uh, it's, touched. And, and I think her friends were kind of thinking, she's like, just eat your burger. But <laughs> she was really working to get the best shot. And I was, I was, I was just admiring this what was happening. But it just shows it's, it's way beyond what what people in our industry are just doing because she she was a model she was just you know <laughs> and she, she wasn't was, going to eat the burger anyway no I don't know I was just I was fascinated by it and I thought it just fit into this whole Instagram this whole story you know of well, what's happening in our in our culture right and well the story is the other side right is what I think Pete was also hitting on is chefs are also building things that are They're beautiful and, and I mean we we just had a meal recently where um, the place had like. Uh, they're known for big stuff, and we kept getting all these big dishes. And then we ordered one of the one of our dishes was a salad, and we saw our neighbor at the table get the Caesar salad that was just like these giant pieces of lettuce and this huge dish. And then we got what ended up looking like a much beautiful salad. I mean, it's gorgeous, right? It was beautiful. It was art. It was a work of art. But it was mostly herbs, and it didn't taste good. And mm -hmm. we were kind of looking at it. It was like it was an anomaly on on our menu that otherwise was big savory food. And then, of course, we had order envy. Yeah, because we're like, that, that, that Caesar doesn't look as good, but I'd rather eat it. And I think, I mean, I think you do see that from the other side is that the chefs also know that, you know, having violets or having this or that in, in, on the dish makes that dish look so pretty and amazing. But, you know, I think they, in some instances you see them get away from like food that tastes good. Um, and I think that, that was some of what the article is sure. also. Um, yeah, it is. And I was at, I was in San Sebastian last year and I went to Mugaritz. And my take on Mugaritz, the food, it was so original and beautiful. And I mean, 
stunning, but the flavor, and I, I mean, that was just my experience, but it's not always, I don't even know if they don't even prioritize flavor as much as they do presentation and originality. And that's, I think, that was a large part of the point of Pete Wells' article, too. Yeah. So, well, we'll see what happens if Instagram, I don't know, I don't see it dying it's anytime. Yeah, I don't need, yeah, I don't think so, but we'll see. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to take a break here and come back and I'm going to do my solo dining experience. So stay with us. I'm Michael Brooks from Bedvine, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience of the week. So this week, I checked out this new seasonal oyster bar and restaurant called Grand Banks. And it's on a historic schooner, a 142-foot sailboat that's at Pier 25 in Tribeca. If you've never been to Pier 25, by the way... It's pretty cool. They have sand volleyball courts, miniature golf. There's a lot going on there. So um, I went. I was. I had read about this place. I wanted to check it out, and it was a beautiful day. Let me just paint this picture. It was the sun was shining. It was a nice breeze. The music was playing, and I was sitting on a bar stool on a fancy boat on the Hudson, surrounded by locals who were drinking beers and cocktails and slurping fresh oysters, and I can see the Statue of Liberty in the distance. And right in front of me, there's an oyster shucker doing his thing. So life, it was, it was, it was, it was an awesome day. I really had a nice time. And I didn't see anyone having anything on this boat besides oysters. So that's what I went for. And I tried all four of their varieties. They had Blue Island, Naked Cowboy, Rocky Reef, and Kushi. Uh, Kushi, I think, was my favorite. Um, they're all, they were all three fifty or $4 each, which is not cheap. But I think you're paying for the ambiance and just the experience that you're on this boat. And it's pretty cool. <laughs> so I recommend it. Um, it's grandbakes.org is their website if anyone wants to check it out. And it's uh, brand new and, yes, seasonal because I don't see sitting out there in the winter. So um, that's my solo dining experience this week. And we're getting towards the end of the show. So I wanted to ask you guys if you can do the final question. So my next guest is Tara Berman. She is of Tara Page Group, and Tara Page Group is a management hospitality advisory group. So Cameron and Michael, do you have a question for Tara? We do. Um, you know, relating back to the crumbs issue, uh, you know, we looked at it, uh, and we kind of hear this from our clients a little bit in, in questions, or we look at some of the larger goals, and 
we wonder about bringing restaurant concepts public. Um, and we wonder if that is part of the issue here. And so does she advise, because they, they do work with big brands, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of chefs look at it and say, okay, what's the quick service version of what I could do? Like, what's the Shake Shack that's going to be you know, a real moneymaker for them? But is, is bringing a company like that public a good idea? That's a good question. I will ask her, see what she has to say. An easy one, too, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll just start with that at the beginning of the show, and then like I'm, my, my, my job is done. Let's talk about IPOs. <laughs> Where <did you> start? <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you. And thank you guys so, so much for coming out here. Thank you for thank having you, us. This was great. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. So I've been talking to Cameron Lefkoff and Michael Saltis of The C, which stands for the Culinary Entertainment Agency. Their website is the dash c which is cea dot com i got that right yes all right and since and since cameron's so big on twitter i'll give her handle (laughs) she's not but we're gonna get her into it (laughs) at cameron lev and michael is at m saltis and that's m p s l a t i s my social media is at all industry at sherry bayer at bayer pr my website's bayerpublicrelations.com if you miss us live broadcast, you can always find us at heritageradionetwork.org, and we're on Stitcher and iTunes. Thanks to my engineer, Jack, and my guests, Cameron and Michael, and to everyone out there listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, I'm going to be away next week, so we will be airing one of my previous episodes, but then I will be back on July 30th at 4 p.m. for another live show. So I hope you will tune in then, and next week, too, in case you missed one of my shows. <laughs> Don't want to miss them. All right. So have a great week. And um, that's all. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.